0: Hello and welcome everybody to the next edition of our podcast, Infection Control Matters, the most downloaded infection control podcast in the world. I'm Phil Russo and today I am joined uh, by Brett Mitchell from University of Newcastle. And Brett has found an article that has uh, interested us both by a couple of uh, colleagues from Australia with regards to uh, further work on the burden of healthcare-associated infections. So welcome, Brett. I'll throw over to you now to uh, introduce the article.
1: G'day, Phil, and uh, hello, everybody. Yeah, so this article caught my eye because It really talks about the burden of infection again and something that we often want to articulate and describe when we're trying to justify infection control resources and uh, research. So uh, that's sort of why it grabbed my attention. It was published in Clinical Infectious Disease and um, it's called Attributable Length of Stay, Mortality Risks and Cost of Bacterial Healthcare-Associated Infections in Australia. Um, Zing Li was the first author, uh, a number of other authors as well, Now, we see a lot of papers that talk about the burden of infection in terms of costs and length of stay. They're not often done that well, and so I think we'll probably talk about that today. This is a paper that caught my eye because they've used some really good methods in um, trying to determine what the impact of HIAs are, and it was also a very big data set. So I guess that's, Phil, the reason why I I like this article.
0: Yeah, so... There's been a number of costing studies. People have been trying to identify the cost of healthcare-associated infections for decades. Um, but mm. the the methodology that's been used in the past hasn't always. What's well, now been suggested that it's not been the best way to estimate those costs. These this study is taking a slightly different approach. Are you able mm. to explain what's been done in the past and perhaps why that wasn't the best way?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question, Phil. So, I guess if you think about infections in hospital and, and traditional studies, they might look at people who are uh, who have an infection and who don't have an infection, and they compare things like length of stay between those two groups, and or mortality. Uh, and and I'll talk about the interaction between those two a bit a bit more later on, but. That is problematic when it's when it's done through sort of a traditional cohort-type designs where the analysis doesn't account for the timing of infection within hospitals. So remember that the longer you're in hospital, the greater the risk of you acquiring an infection is. And of course, if you get an infection, you may well also stay in hospital longer. So what that means is that you really can't look at two groups infected and non-infected groups and crudely compare them for things like length of stay and we see that reported time and time again in the literature so a few years ago there were a group of statisticians in germany and, and adrian barnett did some work here in australia as well where they looked at new statistical methods to try and adjust for that and i know this audience probably doesn't want to get bored with statistical methods but um really what they call is multi-state models and and what they do is you classify a cohort of people each day into either an infected or a non-infected status so imagine you had 100 people in your cohort and you look at each person each day and you say did you have an infection on this day yes or no and and then essentially you're looking at that daily outcome and for each day then that you're infected or not infected you contribute to the data for that time. So, if you're infected from days two to seven, then that's the time of the infection during your hospital stay. So, people move through these states of either being infected or not infected. And at the end of their hospitalization, they're either discharged alive or they're discharged dead. And that's um, an important caveat as well. So, multi state modeling looks at this type of approach to better understand the impact of length of stay. If you don't do this, what happens is you end up with really um, excessive length of stays or inaccurate length of stays that don't actually match reality um, because of something called time-dependent bias. So I think, I think I'll think i leave it there for that kind of stuff, Phil, but um, this is why I like this study because they did use uh, what was called multi-state modelling. Yeah, thanks, Ben. I'll, I was going to ask you about that. So the
0: situation you described with the previous studies is what they refer to as time-dependent bias, so that time for, mm. that, that often isn't accounted for before an infection takes place so this study did use multi-state modeling um, and i noticed they also were very particular about matching cases mm. with with non-infected cases can you just perhaps touch briefly about what the importance about um matching what's what's so important about matching appropriately
1: yeah so in this study what the authors did was was look at data from 134 hospitals uh, in queensland over a five-year period and um, they picked up 20-odd thousand cases of infection, and I'll talk about what infections they were in a minute, and they matched those with with 75,000 uninfected control patients. And they matched them on things like sex and I think it was um, time of um, admission to hospital. So matching is really important because you want to get relatively similar things or match on relatively important characteristics, but at the same time you don't want to match to the nth degree because that in itself will create some bias so it's a difficult one to get that balance right with with matching you know you want to make sure that uh, for example people who are sicker in not just going into that infected arm and that equally they're they're controlled for in in a in the in the control arm so that's what they attempted to do in this study, but that was a limitation, actually, of this study where they couldn't really match on some of those severity illnesses at the point of, at the point of matching, but they did try and control for those and look at those by way of Charleston Comorbidity Index when they looked at inpatient mortality. So uh, matching is really important, but if you overmatch, it also is a bit, of a, a bit of a problem. So ideally, you know, having a big cohort with everybody included is a way to go.
0: Okay, so they did do um, use some very um, potentially complex statistics um, in the analysis of this data set, so we won't get into that, but of course this article will be available for viewing on our website We'll put some links up there um, so let's just cut to the chase Brett um, what did mm. they what did they do and, and what did they find?
1: Yeah so they looked at this cohort study in, in one hundred and thirty four hospitals and they were particularly interested in infections that were caused by five specific organisms. Um, so things like E. coli, Klebsiella, Pseudomonas, Staphylococcus, and Entero, um, Enterococcus faecium. And so what they wanted to do then was look at this. They linked the data of those patients to other records that were available to, to identify when people um, died, for example. So they looked at inpatient mortality. And they also wanted to look at the additional length of stay associated with these types of infections caused by this, these organisms. The other thing they wanted to do was look at the costs associated with that additional length of stay in hospital, and they used two different approaches for that. One was what they called an opportunity cost, and the, one, the other one they looked at was an accounting cost. So an opportunity cost is from a piece of work a few years ago, led by, I think, Nick Graves, where well, they asked CEOs what they were willing to pay for an extra bed day in hospital. So essentially, what's, what would you do to release a bed day? How much is a bed day worth? So CEOs rated that um, at, a, at, a, at a cost, and that's significantly lower uh, than what an accounting method would use, which would be you know, the cost of running a hospital divided by the number of patients you might see. Very crude, very crudely explained, but essentially that's it. So there are the three things they want to look at. Length of stay, they want to look at mortality, and they wanted to look at cost. And so they looked at bloodstream infections, urinary tract infections, and respiratory tract infections. Now, for respiratory tract infections, they were just uh, Pseudomonas aeruginosa infections, so just limited to that particular respiratory pathogen. So um, that's what they wanted to, to look at, Phil, those, those organisms with um, those particular infections.
0: Um, they also wanted to look at um, some differences or um, associations between those resistant organisms and sensitive organisms mm. across those infections too, didn't they, Brett?
1: That's right. So um, they looked at um, third-generation cephalosporin resistance, for example, uh, methicillin resistance, to see whether resistant organisms were different in terms of their mortality, uh, their length of stay and costs in hospital. Um, so... Just, just in terms of the, the deaths, because it's one thing we're going to talk about or mortality, they used a, a death odd ratio, which was really quantifying the association between healthcare associated infections and inpatient mortality risk. Um, and I mentioned the cost element before, and of course, length of stay was measured in the additional um, number of extra days in hospital. Of course, what um, we need to keep in
0: mind um, is that there is a relationship between mortality and length of stay, isn't there? Because um, essentially, if you have passed away, um, you're not costing the hospital anything. In fact, are you? So mm. there's that. There's that. Um, we need to m- make sure we consider, though, that when we're looking at the data.
1: Absolutely right, and that's again another reason why multi-state modelling is really important to look to use when you're thinking about length looking at length of stay because there is that relationship between length of stay in hospital and mortality so if you if you pass away in hospital you're going to actually stay in hospital less time uh, potentially and that means less cost so that's why things need to be looked at in tandem when you're looking at length of stay and mortality risk. So those two things really do need to be looked at in tandem
0: okay so uh, tell us what were the headline findings
1: Okay, so um, what they found for these um, particular infections, remembering this was just five common organisms and BSIs, UTIs, and respiratory infection, um, that the overall incidence of infection was 116 per 100,000 patient days or around ten point, sorry 11.7 per 10,000 patient days. So UTIs were the most common type of, of infection with an incidence of 50 or pretty much 52 per 100,000 days and bloodstream infections caused by staph aureus bacteremia which of course um, many people do surveillance on equates for around six cases per 100,000 patients days. So really I guess um, oh and I guess the other important thing is the respiratory infection and remember this was just Pseudomonas aeruginosa respiratory tract infections that was around uh, 12 cases per 100,000 days. So 12 cases for that Pseudomonas aeruginosa respiratory infection, 6 or thereabouts for Staph aureus BSI's, and 52 for urinary tract infections. So again, that if you look at point prevalence studies, that uh, those types of two infections, urinary tract infections and pneumonias, are generally on top, or at least in the top three, are common infections. And BSIs, of course, aren't as common, but we'll come to the mortality side of things in a moment. Sure. I mean, that that's interesting on lots of levels. I guess what strikes
0: me is that Um, those common infections, the respiratory tract infections and the UTIs, aren't um, infections that would normally be part of a hospital surveillance program. Mm. Um, And so using these reasonably simple definitions that they've used in this study, they've they've identified that they're actually very frequent, which which supports what is found in in point-prevalence studies on the whole also, isn't
1: it? That's right. And just remembering that that figure of... Pretty much twelve for respiratory tract infections. It was just pseudomonas, so um, we would expect that to be much higher when you consider some some potentially other pathogens that might be associated with the respiratory tract infections as well.
0: So tell us some about
1: the mortality data that you're dying to share. Dying to get. Oh, that's a that's a punville. So um, inpatient um, mortality. So this is all cause mortality. Was the highest in patients with bloodstream infections. So that's not unsurprising. So although bloodstream infections. Were the least common; they had the highest mortality associated with them. So that that really is an important um, consideration when you're thinking about um, risks and thinking about surveillance. The risk of bloodstream infection, in terms of the increased odds of death for *E. BSIs, or sorry, *Enterococcus fecium BSIs, uh, was 4.5 with the odds ratio, and if you look at things like urinary tract infection, the death odds ratio was only significantly elevated for Iphikium UTI UTIs, an odds ratio of 1.4. So again, that sort of highlights the, the mortality risk is much higher for things like bloodstream infection than um, things like urinary tract infection. For the respiratory tract infections, for pseudomonas, the odds ratio of inpatient mortality was 2.4. Actually, um, and look, I'm not going to all the confidence intervals. The other interesting thing before I forget about this paper was there were no p-values used in this paper. So it was pleasant to see that because odds ratios were reported. So looking at more of the effect size as well as the 95% confidence intervals around that. So that was um, an interesting thing to see uh, this paper published with no p-values as well, but... I digress for a minute, Phil. Yes, yeah, no, I think that reflects uh, some of the, the,
0: the views of some of the authors on the paper, Brett, mm. with regards to the p-values. Okay, Brett, so in less technical terms, what we're saying at the moment is that UTIs and respiratory tract infections are very common um, when it comes to healthcare-associated infections, certainly more common than bloodstream infections, but bloodstream infections um, uh, have a much higher mortality rate than, than those other two infections.
1: Yep, that's spot on, Phil. So now we have the third element to this. So we have more, we have, how frequent are they incidents? We have, what's the impact for patients? Now we need to think about what's the impact for health services? And that's where the cost comes into it. So the cost comes into it in terms of things like the additional length of stay in hospital. So when we look at the additional length of stay in hospital, the healthcare associated bloodstream infections do have a greater excess length of stay than UTIs or respiratory tract infections. So things like Staph aureus bloodstream infections had an additional five days in hospital. For things like MRSA bloodstream infections, so those are the resistant, and that increased to eight days extra in hospital. For things like urinary tract infection, the impact on length of stay was moderate. And if we consider something like a a resistant pathogen, like a a resistant Klebsiella pneumonia UTI, the additional length of stay in hospital was around two days. And for respiratory tract infections, that was around about three days. Remember, that's just Pseudomonas. So we we sort of broadly speaking, just over five days for all, sorry, for Staph aureus BSIs, for resistant UTIs, we're talking extra couple of days, and Pseudomonas, Respiratory tract infections uh, about three days, so that's the third element to that, which is important though, because that then thinks about you got to couple that up with frequency when you when you're thinking about the costs. So if we think about costs, Staph aureus bloodstream infections, they found that costs for this were the highest cost. Um, the opportunity cost was around nine hundred dollars per episode of Staph aureus bloodstream infection. And you're using the accounting method, which is you know the overall costs divided by the number of patients. It was about $10,000 for every case of Staph aureus bloodstream infection. And so for things like UTIs and respiratory tract infections, those costs were less. I won't go into the ins and outs of all that because that's in the paper. But I guess the important thing is, okay, let's marry up now the incidence data with that cost data. What is that telling us? So, the authors suggest that over the sort of five year period that they looked at, the annual costs, and this is using the accounting estimates, the annual costs were the highest for respiratory tract infections, costing around just over $2 million per year in additional costs, followed by Staph aureus bloodstream infections at about 1.9 million, and then E. coli UTIs were about 1.7 million. So it's a really interesting picture that that, in actual fact, when you look at the incidence and then the costs associated with these infections, there isn't much difference between those three. But respiratory tract infections, in this case, just Pseudomonas, comes out as the biggest cost for health services. Probably worth
0: pointing out that we're talking US dollars here too, Brett, not uh, not the miserly Australian dollar at the moment.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right, Phil. So we are talking US dollars when when we look at that. So... I guess this really just has an implications for what are we doing about UTIs and respiratory tract infections when these are costing just as much as something like staph bloodstream infections. So I guess it makes me think
0: we need to be looking for these infections um, more scrupulously and finding out the the real epidemiology and incidence and prevalence of these infections in our you know patient population, so we can then start to put in some interventions to to reduce these. And you know you could argue that um, the infection prevention initiatives required to reduce respiratory tract infections and UTI and tract infections are pretty simple things often, um, and aren't going to be yeah. particularly expensive. But we don't know exactly yet which works. We don't have the research in this space to to uh, inform us really properly, do we?
1: No, that's exactly right. And we we touched on um, healthcare-associated pneumonia in a, in a recent podcast and, and talked about that. A lot of these things are more about implementation, trying to think about what do we need to do, what constitutes best care, and how do we get that implemented well and consistently across health services. But also actually trying to find uh, evidence. There's lots of evidence gaps still around UTI. Prevention, particularly Caudes and um, healthcare-associated pneumonia, so the non-ventilated pneumonias. We've still got huge evidence gaps in both of those fields, which could actually help us really inform what we need to do in clinical practice. What we need to be teaching people in undergraduate curricula. We could make some massive gains in that space. Um, so that was, um, you know, I guess one of the interesting things about about this article. So we really
0: need some um, robust research in this space, prevention of uh, pneumonias and prevention of urinary tract infections.
1: There's also one other thing I found interesting in this article, and and it it cropped up once or twice, um, but I'll just use one example here, and that the authors found a lower cost per infection for vancomycin-resistant BSIs compared to vancomycin-sensitive BSIs. So really that goes back to that a really early point that we made where a potential explanation for that is that people were dying earlier from these resistant pathogens and therefore not contributing additional length of stay and therefore cost to the health service. So it's a really difficult one to frame when we're thinking about antimicrobial resistance and the justification for resources too. Very careful about how we word that. Um, but uh, that's something that probably helps explain some of the differences in the paper where some of the re- for some of the resistant path- pathogens, there was actually less cost or not an additional length of stay. That could be explained by by the increase in mortality, and that's why looking at these methods, uh, sorry, looking at these infections using appropriate methods is so important because there's a real interaction between mortality length of stay that um, needs to be accounted for. So, Brett, it's a, it's, been, it's a really interesting paper,
0: isn't it? And, and as we start to wind up our discussion, I'm just wondering if you wanted to just um, touch on any any limitations. Well, one of the yeah. um, limitations I'm wondering about, it's, I don't believe it was mentioned, was this data is um, was obtained from... Queensland acute care hospitals be t- from 2012 to 2016. So some of the data is almost 10 years old, and I'm just wondering if it's still going to be as you know generalizable in today's um, environment, or has there been any major shifts that we no- need to consider um, in applying that old data to today's world.
1: Yeah, it's a good point. Um, you know, there has been some some major initiatives during that time, or certainly in the early, or I guess. 2010 period, there was the National Hand Hygiene Initiative that went in. That would have been reasonably well embedded by the time this study was probably undertaken. I don't know that you know. There's always going to be improvements to well, hopefully <laughs> improvements to care during that time, which might reduce that that incidence down further. But I don't know that we could say that. I reckon that uh, given the large number of hospitals and large number of patients, that this is probably a, a reasonable representation. And if we look at things more recently, you know, work that you led, Phil, in the PPS study, again, we see that these infections are quite common across Australia. So I'm not sure that um, we would have seen massive changes to that. And arguably, if anything, we would probably seen more resistance since that period of time too. So that might have changed the picture slightly um, in terms of mortality. But, um, yeah, so I guess that's perhaps a limitation. The other limitation that I alluded to at the start was the matching and I guess not being able to match on comorbidities up front is, um, is, is a potential limitation, although that was attempted to be adjusted as part of Charleston Comorbidity Indexes uh, um, through the analysis. Uh, and so that sort of matching process could be could be a slight, um, slight limitation as well. And, of course, this is a retrospective cohort design, and some of the definitions used for things like urinary tract infections may or may not necessarily directly correlate with clinical infection. So, um, you know, these are essentially lab-based um, results, and so there may be some misclassification bias associated with that too. But again, you know, this is probably one of the better studies that we've seen in this space for a, for a long period of time because the methods are sound. And the authors make a really important point towards the end of their paper and they say that adjusting for the timing of infection is more important than adjusting for baseline comorbidities when estimating length of stay due to infection and this has been shown in multiple studies in the past. So fundamentally get the methods right first and then if we can get better at getting those definitions right down the track we'll get even uh, more robust data in this in this space but certainly I think this is a paper that is well ahead of many other papers when looking at length of stay and mortality. Yeah,
0: thanks, Brett. I noticed that the authors um, describe it as an unbiased estimate as opposed to previous biased estimates. (laughs) Um, So it's still an estimate, but we're becoming, you know, honing in a little bit closer to the target perhaps is is how we
1: could describe it. Yeah. There's also some really interesting, you know, work going to be coming out of the UK with the ECONI study, and I look forward to to hearing the results of that study and reading the results of that study um, because they also have looked at um, length of stay and have done that in a prospective... Sorry, looked at post-discharge costs, I think, and length of stay and have done it in a prospective way. So um, that'll be a really interesting series of papers that come out too. And and with these types of work that are done well, we can then get a really stronger picture for justifying investment... Um, or disinvestment in infection control, or disinvestment in other areas of health that need to be diverted into infection control.
0: Okay, so well done to um, Zing Lee and Teresa Wozniak for leading this work. It's certainly um, the methods um, are very impressive, I've got to say, and the and the findings are fascinating. Thank you, Brett, for joining me today to discuss this important paper. Would you do you have any final words to uh, sum up with?
1: Look, um, thanks, Phil. The only thing I would say is apologies, you know, sometimes these things are a bit dry uh, when we talk about methods. So if uh, people have found that a bit difficult, hopefully we explain that reasonably okay today. But, you know, despite that, the reason we really did pick this paper is because I think it makes a really important contribution that will really help people in... Hospitals and aged care settings justify and support their infection control program because ultimately that's what you need is evidence to support what you're doing and investment of resources. And this paper really does help um, with that. So I think this is an important reference piece if you're trying to justify a business case in your own facility.
0: Absolutely. Our, our resources are precious and we need to use them in the right area. So thank you, Brett, for that. And um, thank you, uh, everybody, for listening in. This is Phil Russo signing off for now, so bye for now. Goodbye for now.